So Money, episode 1219, How to Teach Money to Your Kids as Young as Three Years Old with Rob Phelan, author of M is for Money. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. At three years old, kids can just start conceptualizing what money is. They can start getting some of the basic topics. So the idea that when we go to the store and we want something, you have to trade to get it. You're trading your money. Um, A lot of us are just seeing a card being swiped, so it's actually a harder um, visual for them now, but we're getting the idea that you can't just take something off the shelf and walk off with it. You have to trade something for it. And kids will realize that. Welcome to So Money, everybody. Happy Monday. It is June 28th, 2021. Our conversation today centers around kids and money. Think about when you were growing up. Did your parents talk about money? I often talk about our earliest money memories growing up with guests and the feedback is mixed. Some people talked about money. Some people remember never discussing the M word. Our guest today wants to give parents and young kids a tool to help them break the ice. Rob Phelan is a high school personal finance teacher from Maryland, where he lives with his wife and son, who's almost two years old. And he's going to have a new book out called M is for Money. It aims to introduce to three to eight-year-old children age-appropriate money words and normalize conversations about money between family and friends. Rob is also a part of the Choose Fi Foundation team. It's a nonprofit with the mission of bringing high-quality and free personal finance education to underserved communities. He's also the owner of The Simple Startup, a digital camp for kids to help them start their first business. M is for Money is Rob's first published book, and he's running a Kickstarter campaign to help launch the book. We'll have that link on the So Money Podcast website. You can go to kickstarter.com and search for M is for Money to get in at the ground level. Here's Rob Phelan. Rob Phelan, welcome to So Money. Farnoosh, thank you so much for having me. You are an example, a model of persistence. You've been emailing me for many months about this important book that you've written about uh, kids and money, which we're going to dedicate a lot of the show to, but just want to give you a shout out. And and really as a, a reminder to listeners, if you have a great idea, if you feel like you want to be sharing the mic with me, my door is open. I mean, I respond right away, but I read everything and eventually, hopefully I'll get to it. Better late than never. Let's start with M is for money. This is your new book. This area of teaching has been something that you've um, dedicated your life to only in the last four or five years, which I want to learn about as well, how you transitioned to this place. But tell us about what was the um, the genesis for the book. So um, I have an almost two-year-old at home. Um, he is a avid book lover. Um, we read books every night before we go to bed. He's got a bookshelf in on every floor of our house where he constantly goes and pulls books off the shelf and is like, please read, 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 read. And I realized that I didn't have anything that was financially related. And that was just kind of you know a, an interest of my own. I'm like, I'm super into personal finance. I teach it to high school students. I talk to adults about it all the time. I work with Chooseify Foundation, which is completely dedicated to empowering individuals with financial literacy education. And I was like, you know, it'd be nice to just have some sort of money book laying around for him that he could start learning from a young age. 
And I just realized there wasn't much out there. Um, there isn't a lot of books that are dedicated to trying to help kids learn money vocabulary. And then also, let's just make talking about money normal because you know this, you've interviewed enough guests about this, that money is that taboo conversation that a lot of American families don't feel comfortable having. And we have kids who will grow up feeling that kind of like, this isn't something we talk about. We don't really discuss finances. Money is sort of like an icky word. And I wanted to try and help change that. I wanted to give parents something that they could share with their kids that would help them feel confident that they could understand money words when they were thrown around and also ask questions about it. A is for artichoke was an inspiration for the book where every letter represents a money word in this book, in your book, M is for money. I wonder if there is like a vicious cycle situation going on, Rob, and I would love to get your take on this as to why as a culture and a society, we don't dedicate more conversation, literature and literacy to money. I have heard from, for example, teachers at public schools and private schools, well, we don't discuss money or we don't have a money curriculum because as a teacher, I'm still trying to figure out my money situation. I don't feel equipped and confident to talk about money. This is not something that I, I want to do, let alone feel good at doing. And it's almost this, it perpetuates this, um, this gap, this, it, it expands this gap that we have in, when it comes to financial literacy. What do you think are the reasons behind why there is a desert of, uh, of when it comes to books for about money for kids or even any sort of you know tangible uh, educational tool? I think that a lot of us, when we see the word money or we see money represented on a book, uh, particularly a kid's book, I think a lot of us can almost, without realizing it, kind of shut down to that idea that like, no, I don't really want to go there. I don't want my kids to go there. Um, I feel like money is put on the same shelf as sex, religion, politics, um, things that we just like body empowerment, like just things that we don't really want to talk about too much because we internally feel uncomfortable talking about it ourselves. Um, so I've, I've noticed that there aren't a lot of books that just have like cash on the front of them, that the visual image of cash can be something that is a turnoff for people and actually dissuades them from wanting to pick up that book and look at it. Um, so I'm taking a shot here by calling it M is for money. It could blow up my face that the word money on a book is going to be like, no, 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 no. We're not going to touch that. But yeah, I, I think that we, as you said, we are uncomfortable as adults with our own finances, our own knowledge, and therefore we don't really want to have that conversation with kids where potentially we're going to feel embarrassed because we, we don't know the answers to everything or we'll get asked a question. It's like, well, I didn't really do a great job with that myself. And now you can see that. And so then what is your advice for families that want they, they, they get this. They're listening. They're nodding. They're like, yes, we know this is important. We didn't have this. And clearly we could have benefited. And yet we feel like we're not armed and equipped and ready. Like this book is going to open up a whole Pandora's box. I'm not going to have answers. What do you say to that parent to encourage them to take this step? So what we are encouraging kids to do is to have an open mind and encourage them to learn. We're going to learn right alongside them. That's totally fine. You can let your kids know that you don't know the answer to something and then model how to go find that answer. Uh, when we're talking about three to eight-year-olds, so that's the target market for this book, we're not explaining things like a Roth conversion ladder. Like I still don't quite get how that works because it just doesn't apl apply to me right now. Backdoor um, Roth IRAs. Nope, 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 nope. So we're talking like three, four, five letter words that most of us use in our everyday vocabulary, but we just want to put a money meaning to them or think about, you know, what does it actually mean to save? What does it mean to spend? How can you earn? And 
you can have those conversations with your kid and you can debate back and forth. It doesn't have to be a source of all knowledge. Like this is not an encyclopedia. This is not a textbook. This is a book that's going to help encourage parents to just talk to their kids about money. So what you'll see on every page is like A is for allowance. That's the A word in the book. And there's a very brief definition of what an allowance is that's in kid-friendly terms. Then there's a mini story. So there's going to be a two to three sentence story and an illustration to go with it showing um, a kid what an allowance would look like in action. And then the final part, which is the part I'm really excited about, is my central character is a little squirrel named Stash. And he comes on and asks the kids a question. And in the case of allowance, it's, what would you do if you got an allowance? And the reader, so the kid in this case, is encouraged to think out loud, ponder about it. Like, well, if someone started handing me money, what would I do with it? And then the parent or the teacher or the adult can start encouraging that thought process and be like, okay, what could you do with it? What would you like to do? What are our options? Um, and it starts to develop from a very young age that, okay, I can just start making a plan for what I do with money when it comes to me. And money means options. Three years old, three years old, really? You can you can get some uh, foundational stuff in at that young age. Your son is almost there. Besides this book, what are some things that parents at home can be doing to model for their children when it comes to you know helping them at least just get comfortable with this word and this idea of money. So at three years old, um, the research is showing, and Beth Koblinger was the one who brought this to my attention, that at three years old, kids can just start conceptualizing what money is. They can start getting some of the basic topics. So the idea that when we go to the store and we want something, you have to trade to get it. You're trading your money. Um, a lot of us are just seeing a card being swiped, so it's actually a harder um, visual for them now, but we're getting the idea that you can't just take something off the shelf and walk off with it. You have to trade something for it. And kids will realize that. I mean, my son recently just took my wallet off the table, pulled out a credit card and started walking around going shoo, 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 like he was swiping it on things. Like he sees it, he gets it. Our kids are watching us all the time. And you know that as a parent and all the parents out there, like kids parrot the things that you say and you don't even realize they're listening. They're copying what you do. They reenact it in their play. And that's something that parents can do is when they see their kids doing this kind of stuff, like playing out a scenario that involves shopping or saving or spending or anything money related, sit down and play with them and just start you know, going through the process of, okay, you know, you, my kid likes to play with um, grocery stuff. So we've got play food around the place and he likes pushing his little shopping cart around and putting the food in it. And so we just kind of introduced a little cash register at the end. We're like, okay, let's put your food and we'll swipe it. And then you got to pay for it before you can walk off with it. And he loves it. It's a very fun game for him. It's really like an Easter egg hunt. He just likes finding the food, putting it in the cart and walking off. But we get to kind of introduce basic ideas. Like we're not having a full adult conversation about money. We're just playing. And that's something that every parent can do. Like you are an expert spender. You're an expert consumer. You can share that with your kid and you can certainly let them into like, let them have some insight into what you're thinking, what you're doing when you go to these different places, such as the bank or the grocery store. You arrived at this book with a background in education, but not necessarily all the years teaching finance or personal finance. Uh, this is a, a kind of a newer avenue for you, but tell us about how your background in education prepared you for this. Um, so not very well. I will, I'm going to say like most teachers out there, I came through undergraduate and grad school without any background in finances whatsoever. Um, I was very fortunate to meet my future wife um, just at, just before grad school. 
And she was the the money person in our household. Um, when we started living together and you know, really becoming serious about our relationship, it was really apparent that she knew so much more than I did about how the money system worked, how to build wealth for the future, um, how to save, how to invest. And you know, I was just kind of like, oh, paycheck, let's spend it. And she let me know that this imbalance in the relationship was causing a lot of stress for her. Like she felt solely responsible for our financial outlook. And that's a lot of pressure for anyone to take on. And I've heard previous guests of yours kind of say the same thing that, you know, it's it's not fun to be the person who's the sole breadwinner or who's responsible for all the decision making. Some people look for it, but I, I feel like that's a lot of pressure for someone. And my wife felt that. And she said to me, like, I want you to learn more so that we can share this decision making process. And at the same time, my school asked me, would you take on this personal finance math hybrid class? Um, the teacher who was doing it was vacating the position. They didn't have anyone who wanted to do it. Um, so they just said, would you be interested? And I was like, okay, this is an opportunity for me to really just force myself. Like you have to learn because now you have to teach it to other kids. And I spent a summer diving into personal finance and learning all about it um, and realized there was more than just managing money. You can start building wealth. And the idea of financial independence came onto my um, radar. And yeah, it was a really exciting journey of development to do better with our own finances and then start teaching kids about it as well. Well, kudos to your wife for uh, being very forthright about that, oh, getting, you both, <laughs> getting you both on a better track. And I, it sounds like what you've also extracted from this experience, Rob, is uh, the importance of entrepreneurship for yourself. You know, uh, the fact that you've uh, written this book and you're out there taking this uh, role really to the next level, this whole idea of being a, an educator, not just at a high school, but really doing it for everybody. And this is a message that you really want to share with parents. This is something that we can start teaching our kids, you say, as young as three. Talk about how we can instill not just financial values, but entrepreneurial values in our kids. So one thing I realized very quickly was that entrepreneurship and personal finance, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, when we're talking about doing better with our finances, usually it's a very simple equation. You have to make more than you spend and you have to take that gap and you have to invest it to try and build wealth for the future. And a lot of us, we start cutting costs. We start you know, trying to reduce our expenses to create that gap. And then the other side of it is, of course, trying to increase your earnings. And there are so many different ways to do that from negotiating for better salaries, finding better positions, um, upskilling. But one thing that sometimes got pushed to the side was the idea of entrepreneurship and just creating alternative sources of income. And when I saw that, I was like, this is really exciting. There's no limit to how much money you can make potentially through entrepreneurship. There's a limit to how much you can cut your spending. You can only go as low as zero, and that's not practical for most people. But in terms of making more, the sky's the limit. And you can really get creative. You can try different things out. And I love teaching that to kids because most kids are like, I can't earn money until I'm 16 or 17 and somebody will hire me to work for them. Versus I teach kids as young as 10 years old. Here's how you start a business and how you can start making money for yourself right now. And they're so creative. Little kids are so creative. They can think of anything and they have so much self-belief that oh yeah, I can go be a dog walker. I can open a lemonade stand. I can do whatever. And people will, of course, people are going to pay me for this. Why wouldn't they? I'm cute. And it's so fun to let them see that they can kind of take charge of their own earnings, their own hours, their own life, and bring in as much income really as they want. What was your financial education like as a kid, Rob? I mean, what was your introduction to that? I always ask guests about their first money memory. Do you have one? Not really formal education in the sense that I didn't get anything in school. My parents didn't really like 
sit me down and be like, hey, son, you need to save this amount of money. But I remember that I had a bank account um, actually through a post office. I grew up in Ireland um, for a lot of my life. And in Ireland, the post office actually managed a lot of money. So I had one of those little booklets and you could take your money in, deposit it or withdraw it. Um, so from a very young age, I had one of those accounts and I was able to deposit money in it. My parents encouraged me to do that. Um, I remember wanting a train set at a very young age, like one of these like Lionel metal train sets that I, for some reason in my head, gotten you know gotten into my head that I wanted it. And my dad, instead of being like, no, you can't have it or let me buy this for you. He was like, well, you can get that for yourself, but you're going to have to earn the money to do that. Um, so gave me the opportunity to save for a goal, earn my way to do it and, you know, gave me some ideas. So I actually collected like bottles and cans and took them to a recycling center and got my um, small amount of change for each one. And I saved it and I saved it and I saved it until I had my, I think it was a hundred dollars to buy this train set, like ridiculous price for a train set. One of my, like, I guess it's seared in my memory is like, this was a terrible decision. Why'd you let me do that? But my dad and my mom, in fairness, sat back. They probably knew in their heads, this was an awful decision, but it's a great learning moment. So they let me go and buy that train set with the money that I'd saved and earned. And I think I learned a very big lesson from that, especially two weeks later when I was no longer into the train set. It was, yeah, like, there you go. It was gone. <laughs> you know, I, I've heard a similar bit of advice from from parents who I mean, we, we talk about money and kids on the show often. And one of the best things you can do for your children at a young age is to give them the space to fail with money. You know, not like, lots of it, but in the sense that they have to learn from their mistakes. That's how they learn. And not to just, you know, give them money to throw away, but to say, here's, you know, you're going to get $20 a week or whatever it is. This is your money to manage. And they're going to manage it sometimes well, sometimes not, but you have to let them make sometimes those bad decisions or the decisions that they're going to regret so that they can have that frame of reference, right? For the next time when they go to decide what they want to do with their money. So I think in some way your parents were preparing you for <laughs> the real world. We sometimes have that buyer's remorse. And then the other thing that you made me think of is, um, you know, that money, while it's a limited resource, the opportunity that you have in educating your kids about it is to show them the abundance too, right? And how when you plan, when you are conscious about how you want to use your money, when you work hard and you save, like there is a way to grow the stash and not to just see money as this finite thing, but this resource that you have the potential to grow and then to get the things that you are, are that are important to you. I think that's a some that's a lesson too that I think kids can really get. Yeah. And it's it's like you say in your podcast, it's about a richer, happier life. And we want to teach kids that that is something you can do. Um, but it's going to take patience. It's going to take hard work in some cases. It's not something you can have right now. Um, and this is a problem that a lot of parents come across and we see it throughout the spectrum. You have the parent who is already financially independent and they're raising that next generation. And they're kind of like, I don't want to screw this up. I want my kid to still know the value of money. I want them to be a good steward of that money. I want them to be able to pass it on to the next generation. And then you go all the way to the other side where we have parents who are really struggling. Like they have grown up in poverty themselves. They might still be really struggling financially currently. And you're trying to raise the next generation to do better than what you did. And we don't want kids to have that scarcity mindset where they squirrel away everything and they're afraid to spend money at any point in their lives. Because we know that that's going to get passed on. That mindset, the environment you foster for your kids, like we're going to take a lot of that into our adult lives. And 
the reason that I want to target the three to nine-year-olds is that by nine years old, you've established most of your money habits and mindsets and beliefs about money. And it's it's a hard thing to realize because you're like, oh, well, that seems crazy. Like, so after nine, it's too late. Um, but no, it's just that your initial beliefs, habits are already formed by nine so that as you get older, you're going to have to change those. Um, so if we really instill like a, you know, we're going to blow everything we got, you know, you, you've got money, go spend it. Then we're going to have to try and teach kids how to save and how to change that habit when they get older. Or a lot of adults kind of experience that, like you get to adulthood, you get to your twenties and you're like, I've been spending everything up until now. And now I have to undo that habit and start building a saving muscle too. Is that true for a lot of your habits or sort of the lens through which you see the world that by nine, a lot of that has been conditioned into you? I'm not going to pretend to be a, like a child development professional, but I know from I guess, my where own- did we, Where did we find this stack? Because I want to look into it. I think it's so, so interesting. Also came from Beth Koblinger. Um, oh, and okay. from my own, like, I guess, education on child development, I think that is very true that a lot of our identity, a lot of our beliefs and values are formed before we get to that 10-year-old mark. And at that point, then you're adding to it, you're changing it, you're kind of, your core identity has been formed and you're, store, you're sort of like making your own way in the world after that point. So if we can get to kids before then and start just instilling like positive thoughts about money, positive feelings, this idea that we should save part of everything that we make or is given to us, I think we're going to raise a generation of kids who are much better equipped to handle the traps and pitfalls of adulthood that you know really trip a lot of us up. Beth Kobliner, by the way, has been on the show. She's the author of Make Your Kid a Money Genius. Mm -hmm. And she really has paved the way for so many financial experts. She's the author of the seminal book, Get a Financial Life, uh, which if you are a Gen Xer or older, you know this book. It was sort of the one of the very first personal finance books dedicated to a generation. And it was an instant New York Times bestseller. But anyway, she uh, is great. You can learn more about her at bethkobliner.com. We've already talked about her twice, so I wanted to give her a formal <laughs> shout out. Absolutely. I was listening to one of your episodes recently with Kat Alford, and she had that um, you know big argument with her husband about like how do we teach our six-year-old that um, wealth is not equal to hard work or is equal to hard work, or how do we even just broach this conversation about wealth with kids? And that, like I heard it, and I was like, yes, this is, a, this is the problem I am trying to solve with Ms. for Money, that we've got something that we can help kids build a mindset that equips them to to build wealth in the future. Like it's not just hard work. I mean, I, I tell my kids all the time they're, they're in school, like they'll say, I'm studying so hard. I'm doing all my work, but I'm still not getting the results I want. And I think a teacher of mine told me, well, you can push a wall as hard as you want. You can work as hard as you want. It doesn't mean you're actually doing anything productive. So there is a sense of we have to point kids in the right direction. We have to give them the tools to make all that hard work really work for them and um, build wealth, build happiness, all of those kind of things right. that we want for our kids. And and to look at wealth as not just money in the bank, right? Mm -hmm. It's really about richness of your resources, of your health, of your family. And that, frankly, some people start on third base in life. They get a running start, right? And so there is that. Maybe not when your child is three. They don't need to hear that, but they will learn it. And you know, what I'm really learning through all of these conversations about kids and money is that it is just about talking about it, you know, at the end of the day, even when you don't have the answers, it could be asking questions about it. It's really just having an environment at home where this is not this 
illicit topic, right? Where you feel, I mean, I've had guests on the show. They were like, I, we never talked about money. Like you described, it was taboo. If we talked about it, it was basically like talking about sex and that just never happened. And so they go up, they go into the real world with that same sense of insecurity that then can lead to missteps, you know, because you didn't uh, proactively go to find the answers. You didn't speak up. You didn't ask the questions. You were too timid. It's less about knowledge sometimes, but more just about having the fluidity, the fluency to talk and ask the questions. When you don't know something, ask. That's like 90% of it, I think, at the end of the day. If you can just do that with your kids, you know, and, and it starts with, you know, having these books in your house that literally say it's okay to talk about money. Uh, it's these, these steps that sometimes we underestimate, but really are the foundation. No, I totally agree with that. That, And I think a lot of topics are starting to have that approach that we're talking about equality. We're talking about um, body positivity and, you know, giving formal names to like, um, you know, our private parts and like not letting kids feel like, oh, this is something you never talk about because that's what ends up leading to shame and guilt and embarrassment and keeping that from other people versus if it's something that we feel very positive about, confident about, if you don't know something, it's totally okay. You're like, I'll just, I'll just ask somebody like that. That's a, a very normal response to a lot of things we do, but not for money in a lot of cases. And I always like ask adults, like how, how many money situations would you have done better with had you just asked, you know, even your friend, your parents, your coworker, what did you do or what do you know about this topic? A portion of the proceeds from this book is going to support the Choose Five Foundation pre-K to 12 curriculum. Is that right? So it's going to go into the foundation in general, but it's the foundation is saying that they are going to use it to support um, education for pre-K through 12. So I work as part of the foundation. And one thing that we are really concerned about is providing free resources to people who really need them. Um, so whether it's adults who don't have the money to access good educational resources, whether it's schools who are struggling to have the budgets for you know, some of the fancier programs, simulations, textbooks, that sort of thing. We want something that teachers can access for free, parents at home can access for free, homeschool parents can use, and it gives them lessons, prompts, resources, activities that they can do with kids that are just, like we said, are going to help them become more confident money managers in the future. Any advice for administrators in schools to encourage them to make this more of a standard part of the curriculum, just to have that rudimentary education ahead of time? It's almost a responsibility at this point, I think, as a society, we must prioritize it in that way. And yet it's not being prioritized in the way that we, I think it should be. So what's your advice to get this ball rolling even further? Um, I mean, first off, it, for any administrator, anyone working in education, it's not easy. There is no easy fix to a lot of these um, problems. And we saw this last year in particular, like we all have ideas for how to solve a problem, but each solution causes a different problem. Education is an extremely slow moving ship to try and turn. And educators are sometimes expected to take on a lot of different roles. And the financial educator is another one that we want them to take on because I do agree that school is where we have the opportunity to make the biggest difference. We have the most contact with the highest percentage of our population probably in school before everyone goes their different way. And then it becomes very difficult to reach everyone. So my thought would be, let's start with the teachers and let's try and give them some financial education. So can we make professional developments where we're helping 
teachers to do better with their own financial wellness a normal thing. We talk about emotional wellness. We talk about um, you know mental health, but we don't necessarily talk about financial wellness to teachers. And I think even just equipping teachers with enough that they feel a little bit more confident in themselves will naturally kind of just drip into their classrooms. Um, I know like when I teach math, for example, like it's not a financial class, but over and over again, I'm seeing opportunities to just insert financial tidbits in what I'm talking about. And I know the kids are listening and they're getting something out of that. And every other subject has an opportunity. I mean, money is just involved in everything that we do. So there is so much opportunity to kind of get that involved in your classroom. I think that's really different and important advice. I've never heard someone characterize it like that to say, let's take a step back and not just throw a textbook at a teacher and say, teach this budgeting course, but let's work on you, you know, because I know, and I've done dedicated, I've dedicated episodes to this too, this, uh, this complexity of, you know, being an educator and financially they struggle, many of them, because, you know, the salaries aren't always at the level that they should be, you know, financial literacy for te- for teachers is definitely a thing. And I think to focus on that and have that be a foundation for them to be able to then go and teach to others is a great process. And it's, as you say, it's not going to be happen overnight, but we need to start somewhere. And I think that's a great place to start. Rob Phelan, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Congratulations on your book, Rob. Again, it's called M is for Money. Tell us about when it will be out and so how we really can access exciting it. Times. I'm about to launch a Kickstarter campaign for M is for Money. For those of you not familiar, Kickstarter is a crowdfunding platform where you can pre-order the book and help basically bring it to life. My goal for the Kickstarter campaign is to get 300 books donated to Title I schools and public libraries. And you can find all the information about that at mismormoneybook.com. It won't be available on Amazon till later in the fall after the Kickstarter campaign is finished and everyone has gotten their pre-order book. So if you want it earlier, go find it at kickstarter.com. All right. I'm going to put that link on our site as well. Congratulations. Thanks so much to Rob for joining us. Again, information on the Kickstarter campaign is on the So Money Podcast website. The book is called M is for Money. Coming up on Wednesday, another children's author, Nerissa Holder-Hall, founder of Mirror Mirror Books, where she's producing little books for life's big moments. Her new book is called The Day I Beat the Germs, a book to help your child cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. Stay tuned for that conversation on Wednesday. In the meantime, I hope your day is so money. So money.